Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Happy to Meet Cute. This is Fallon Ballard here with my intrepid co-host, Courtney Kay. <sighs> How are you doing, my friend? <laughs> good. How are you, my fabulous Fallon? It's just so good to see your face. I know. We haven't been recording as much. Like, there was a stretch there. We were doing, like, two or three recordings a week. Um, so it's been, like... I'm like, my Thursdays are so lonely without you. <laughs> and you are on the, like, t sorry, in the afterglow of turning in your yes. projects. How are you feeling? I think I'm going to start a new book today. <laughs> <laughs> Have you told I me about this one? I don't know. This is so um I had a phone call with my editor yesterday just about like other business stuff. Ooh. And I was like, I feel like it's too early for this. Is it too early for this? And she was like, Yes, like don't eat <laughs> she was like, Don't tell me. And then she was like, Okay, wait, tell me just like a little bit. <laughs> and I was like, It's center stage meets magic mic. And she was like, Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god is right. So oh, I we'll, saw uh, see how it goes. I saw an Instagram thing that was like this is our Roman Empire and it was center sage. <laughs> so true. Um the I don't know, Mandy Moore's song Candy has been like making the rounds on TikTok. Has it? And so everybody's doing the um like the stretches that they do when they go to that dance class where she like yes. goes to the off, you know, the not allowed dance class and sees Cooper. And you know what I discovered? Okay. <laughs> Cooper Nielsen in that scene where they're doing the dance to higher ground uh -huh. is the origin of gray sweatpants. <laughs> if you cannot immediately visualize what I'm talking about, you need to go watch that scene immediately. <laughs> oh, God. I'm oh just God. saying, I it came up on my TikTok <laughs> Your page and I was like oh this explains everything <laughs> like why is this real 10 hours long <laughs> um so do yourselves a favor and go watch that scene <laughs> oh my god that's funny good stuff um what's going on with you <laughs> um Oh my gosh, I feel kind of, I mean, I knock on wood, but I feel kind of caught up on life a little bit. Yay! What the heck? That's an amazing feeling. Oh, I made some adulting phone calls I had put off for weeks and it took me 15 minutes. You know what, people, mm. if you don't have a way for me to text you or communicate via email or some form <laughs> on a website, like I don't want you in my life. I know, right? um my house I'm like keeping up with the chores what's happening I love that for you probably because I'm procrastinating my proposal <laughs> that helps that helps yeah yeah I feel that <laughs> I keep setting deadlines for myself like this is the week this is the day and they keep passing and so I keep feeling bad about it 
Yeah. But I just, you know, whatever. I guess I'm not just, I'm just not ready yet. And that's fine. Yeah. If you're not ready, you're not ready. And it is happening a little at a time. Yeah. Um, and I'm enjoying it. So, and also enjoying like new projects and just, I'm having fun with writing, but I'm not rushing it. But then there's always that voice that's like, you're going too slow. It's, you know, it's not going to work out because you took so much time. Like, no. I know that's not true, but yeah, there is always that voice in oh, publishing. Yeah. I think it's just like a mechanism of publishing. The beast. Yeah. I'm just going to start referring to publishing as the beast. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. That's how it feels. <laughs> but speaking of, <laughs> we did have something we wanted to talk about today. And this is something that you and I have talked about off off the record um, several yeah. times. Yeah. And I've said that we wanted to talk about on the podcast, but we weren't just really sure like when the timing would be right. And then again, I don't know how to refer to threads. Like it just is weird. But another author posted a thread a couple days ago. I responded and quote tweeted, quote threaded. I don't know. Oh, so I was reading this book recently and yeah. um, the character said, I'm threading it right now. Oh, okay. So I see, is that the way? I think that's I the way. I don't know. It's so wild. Um, and it sort of started a conversation that was really interesting. So this is the original thre thread from the other author. I'm not going to say her name just because I don't know her personally. And so mm -hmm. I don't want to like put it out there. But um, her thread said... We're going to need a conversation about the increasingly high fees for authors to attend book cons when there literally would be no event without us. It's starting to become not worth it, especially when I'm not in the U.S. and have conversion and additional travel costs to factor in. Um, so obviously you and I are in the U.S., but that yeah. doesn't take away, hmm. uh, you know, travel costs and fees and all of that stuff. Even with cons that are local, you're still most of the time paying for a hotel room so mm -hmm. that you can stay at the con. Um, and then there's these table fees. And so when I did my thread about it, I had multiple readers who commented and were like, I thought you got paid to attend these. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't know that you guys also paid. Um, and I think that that lack of transparency is also a little bit problematic. Um mm -hmm. It didn't, that like was kind of an icky feeling. And I just want to make it clear that like, this applies to like every book con that I'm aware of. Um, yeah. It's a polycon, book bonanza, um, steamy lit, everyone that I'm aware of authors have to pay to attend. And I just think that it's a problem. It's a problem on for me on my end, because as much as we get enjoyment out of going to cons and it's so amazing to meet readers. It's so, so nice to have dedicated time with other writers where we can just like sit and talk about things. Like all of that is so important and so essential, but to sit at a signing table for like four, five, six, some of them are like eight hours where you're sitting and signing. Like that is a work day. That's a job. And I am not comfortable with asking authors to pay money to then sit and work because it's just 
One more thing that authors are expected to pay for out of pocket when the majority of us are not making a living wage off of this career. Right. You know, and it's just Mm -hmm. like, we were having this conversation in another group also about like ordering pre-order swag. Mm -hmm. And it's like, these are all things that we pay for Mm -hmm. on our own. And I just don't know in what other creative job we expect people to do that. Like if you're a E or F or G list actor and you're going to like a Comic-Con, you're getting paid to be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so I don't know. I don't I don't know what the solution is, uh, but I just feel like it's something we need to talk about. And to your point with the pre-order swag too, is like publishers are very, you know, as we know, like they pick certain titles that are their lead titles for that year and they will do the book boxes and they will do Mm -hmm. the book boxes as in like the promo that the publishers send out and they'll do pre-order swag for that author. So it's almost like there's this pressure that if you don't have any pre-order swag, it's like a look, you know? Yeah. When yeah. your book comes out. It's like, oh God, do I have to do it? Or it looks like, is this the standard now? Or I don't yeah. know. Like I know for my first book, I did it because I was just so excited. And right. I that was my way of celebrating it because <clears throat> I had seen authors do that for years. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to do this. yeah um and so I did everything that I wanted it did cost a ton of money yeah um and then for my second book I went a lot more minimal I wasn't mailing things out individually because I just couldn't afford it um and I think too like when we get our book deals there's no guarantee you're gonna be going to events or being invited or like so like it didn't even cross my mind when I got my advance to be like, oh, I should set aside money for travel because um, you also don't know what your publisher is going to cover and what they're not. Like, it's just not some publishers will cover everything, even for even for books that aren't their lead titles. And some will cover nothing and some will cover a stipend. I even had somebody ask me, um, like, what's the industry standard for book conventions? Um, for authors. Yeah. And I was like, there isn't one, there's no standard. Like it's just Mm -mm. Columbus book festival was incredible. I, I think how they did it was probably a great example because, you know, however you want to look at it. Like, I think there's probably pros and cons with however anybody does it, but they reimbursed authors up to $1,000 yeah. For um travel and housing. And if you spent under that, um, you got a thousand dollars anyway. Yeah. I think there's also a difference too between festivals and cons. And oh. from what I have seen, the What's majority the like the majority of festivals are put on by like libraries or oh. their like city, you know, events. Um, so they have I think, grants and some funding. I think they have grants and funding and, um, for the most part, 
you don't pay to go to those things. Like if I'm just a reader going to a festival, it's free for me to show up. Um, Whereas a con, everybody who is coming to the con is paying um, to be there. And sorry, because it's put on by like a private. Right. It's not like a a nonprofit thing. Um, I do think though, book bonanza i have not been but from what i know you do pay to go but like they do a big charity thing it's like a it's like a fundraiser for like a charity kind of a thing that i think colleen hoover is involved in um but still the authors are still paying to be there so you know (laughs) i don't know yeah it really is a catch 22 Mm -hmm. because you want to go and it's great to have the exposure and it's like great to meet re- all the, all the things that you said in the beginning. It's a great yeah. experience. Yeah. But at what point is it like, okay, yes, this is a great experience, but this is also business and we're right. also business people. And like, right. yes, we are the talent that creates the product that, brings the readers to book festivals without authors there wouldn't be books to have a convention for right and And so just that but like at a con sorry to interrupt you um i was done but at a con in particular you would not have a con without the authors Mm -hmm. like nobody is showing up at a con and paying that much money to go like go to a couple vendors Mm -hmm. and like maybe see a publisher booth or something like that's why people are paying three or four hundred dollars or you know whatever the people are paying to go to a con so it's like Mm -hmm. you as a con are profiting off of yes the authors there it is who are paying to be there and that's what i really have a problem with um well said yeah that just doesn't seem right to me and there's just like we deal with enough of that in the beast that is publishing where it's like People are profiting off of our basically a lot of times unpaid labor. And I don't think that that's okay. Um, It just doesn't sit right with me. And, you know, as I'm starting to look at transitioning into more writing full time and kind of stepping away from wedding planning and my day job, like I have to really think about these things. Like, Mm -hmm. is it going to benefit me to go to a con? So like, I mean, I don't know what the stats are. I would imagine at most from Stimulit, I sold like 10 to 20 books. I wasn't on a panel. For the most part, I didn't have people coming up to me who hadn't already read my books. So I wasn't necessarily like meeting new readers because most people kind of like had a plan and they were going to see the people that they already knew and were familiar with and were interested in. So I maybe had like one or two people come up to my table that were like, Oh, like, what are your books about? Like, you know, tell me about them, whatever. So (laughs) it's like best case scenario is I sold 20 books from that experience that nets me about $20. So like that doesn't even, that didn't even pay for like, parking at the hotel, you know? So it's like, when you really break it down and look at the numbers, it's like, you have to, from a business point of view, be like, this is not financially worth it for me. Now that doesn't mean it's not worth it to go because maybe for you, you're in the position where it's like the other benefits like outweigh that. 
Yeah. That's totally fine. Like, I think for me next year, I'm going to go to one con and just kind of like maybe make that my thing where I do like one a year. Mm -hmm. If that, I'm not trying to go to like all the different things um, and kind of just like see how that plays out because I just, I just can't do it. I can't do all of them as much as I would like to. It's fair and it's disappointing and it's sad when you have to turn things down and I'm not trying to say like, Oh, (laughs) I'm, I'm not trying to like brag, but I have had to turn down opportunities recently because I just literally can't afford to go. Like I, I can't. And as much as I would want to be there and travel and get to see readers in other States, I just can't. Um, and it's a very privileged place that I come from where I was able to use my book advance for a lot of book things. Yeah. And that's another conversation too, like especially marginalized voices and BIPOC authors, like it, like we want to be boosting. And so like, why would we be making them pay? Right. Right. And honestly, for me, like, if I was approached for like a book con and it was like, Hey, we want you to pay, but we're not going to charge these other people. We're not going to charge the marginalized authors. Like I would be okay with that. Yeah. But I, I want that to be, I would want that to be made clear. Like I'm coming from a place where I got a very good advance. I am financially comfortable and stable. I have another job at this point in time. So yeah. it's like, if you tell me like, hey, you're going to pay $300 to go to this con, but we're going to make sure any diverse authors who want to come, come for free, that I would do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's just interesting how it's done because just it's just interesting. And like, how, how did it become the norm? Yeah. To be like, we want to hold a convention where readers come see authors, but the authors pay to be there. Right. Well, and I think a lot of it started with, and I could be wrong about this. Well, I think a lot of it started with RWA um, mm. because it was always standard to pay to go to RWA, RWA conferences. But on that note, the whole point of the RWA conference was it was a writing conference. It was a different reader thing at the end. So that's different. But I also think too, we're speaking on this from a traditionally published standpoint, whereas I think self-pub authors are selling their books, they're selling merch, they're selling art. So they are at the very least like coming closer to breaking even. But as a traditionally published author, I'm not selling my own books at my table. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if I were, I wouldn't be making the same profit margin that a self-pubbed author is. So Mm -hmm. that I think is a little bit different. But that was a point I wanted to make as well. Yeah. 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 And if you're not on a panel, you don't get that exposure. You don't get right. really to meet new readers. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I could talk about this for like 20 more hours. Um, but it's a whole thing. Have, yeah. It is a whole thing. We have like the most amazing bonus episode today. And um, just a fair warning, things got like a little glitchy internet wise at the end of our recording. So it's a little bit weird at the end, um, but just for like two minutes. So it's totally fine. But before that, we had the most incredible conversation with 
Cassandra Clare and I just like even just listening back to it yesterday as I was editing I was like oh my god this is our life this is the thing that really happened (laughs) she was lovely yeah she was lovely and she was just so funny and sweet and um very giving with her knowledge Mm -hmm. and she taught me how to world build so (laughs) that was cool I was like all right I can handle this now um and it was just amazing. Yeah. Yes. 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 So good. Um, so we will be right back with Cassandra Clare. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Happy to Meet Cute. Um, like excited is not the right word to just talk about how over the moon Courtney and I are to have today's guest here with us. Um, safe to say we've been freaking out and having several text message exchanges like oh my god is this actually happening and it's actually happening we are just like beyond thrilled to have cassandra claire with us here today even just saying that is like surreal uh cassandra claire is the author of the number one new york times usa today wall street journal and publishers weekly best-selling shadow hunter chronicles she is also the co-author of the best-selling fantasy series Magisterium with Holly Black. The Shadowhunter Chronicles have been adapted as both a major motion picture and a television series. Her books have more than 50 million copies in print worldwide and have been translated into more than 35 languages. Swordcatcher, the first book in a new epic fantasy series, will release in October. As you're listening to this, it is out in the world, so go buy it. Cassandra lives in Western Massachusetts with her husband and three fearsome cats who hopefully will make an appearance at some point today. (laughs) Cassandra, welcome. We are so, so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. And um, yeah, the cats like to jump in at when I'm not expecting it. So if you're going to go, ah, that's why. <laughs> we love that. <laughs> we love that. <laughs> How are you doing? Um, I'm good. I'm, you know, I have a new book coming out on October 10th. Swordcatcher is released and I'm very nervous about that. So I'm very like, you know, like, ah, will we, you know, will people like it? Will, you know, um, will my readers enjoy it? Uh, then I also have a big tour planned for October. So I'll be all over the US and the UK. So I will not be uh, getting much rest. So I'm sort of trying to prepare for that. Nice. Amazing. How do you prepare? I hope that you prepare by getting a lot of sleep, <laughs> hydrating. I mean, exactly. You do. You try to get a lot of sleep, hydrate. And I'm like a packing weirdo. Like I want to have everything mm. packed like a week before. So this, because the trip takes me to all over these, to these different places. And we go through a whole bunch of different like weather, you know, things i had to pack three suitcases and so they're all going to be like start with one suitcase then i switch it out with another suitcase then i switch it out with another suitcase so each suitcase is like has its little like a uh, piece of paper with the days that i'm going to be there and what i'm going to wear on those days written on it it's a very complicated process <laughs> i love that <laughs> i like the list queen. <laughs> i am i'm like this is my love language yes. it's like <laughs> I could keep myself from sort of crazily like overpacking or like packing bizarre and things that I would never need or want while I was there was to like actually know everything that what I was wearing every single day of the trip. So um, yeah, it's helpful. Mm -hmm. And also it takes my mind off things. That's amazing. 
That there is so much healthier than my process. The last convention that Fallon and I went to, I texted her at like 10 p.m. the night before. I'm like, I just started packing. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible it's terrible I, I would die of anxiety like i would send the holy screen like i'm just gonna start packing <laughs> same also i just love packing i don't know if that makes me a weirdo but i just like really enjoy the process of like making my list knowing exactly what i need finding the way like i have all these little like you know zipper pouches and little bags that like everything has its own little spot um yeah. i, I love, love it <laughs> here for it it's amazing you guys like Uh, the container store don't you oh my god yes (laughs) love that you mean my favorite store yes (laughs) uh they followed me on twitter back when twitter was a thing and i like lost my shit it's exciting i was like i'm famous now (laughs) i know that i I would be pretty happy about that that's amazing It it was a very exciting day um but speaking of exciting days your book is so good um it is like i told <laughs> courtney when we got our our arcs in the mail i was like okay i'm gonna sit down and read this and she was like okay and then like two days later i was like okay i'm done and she's like wait you read you read the whole thing already and i was like yes yes i did <laughs> so good. Um, it's so good um and I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about it. Sure. Um, so Swordcatcher is a high fantasy um, set in a world that resembles a little bit sort of Venice in the Renaissance period. Um, it is the story of a young man named Kellyan who is taken from his orphanage when he is just a child and sort of made a servant of the palace and the royal family where his job is to stand in for the prince and um, basically pretend to be him at any kind of event where the prince might be in danger. So he's supposed to sort of stand between him and assassinations. His job is really to die for Prince Connor. Um, And then the other main character is Lynn Castor. She's a member of the Ashkar, who are a minority of people who are persecuted, um, partially because they are the only people in the world who can still do magic. And she uses her magic to heal. She's a physician. So she, um, you know, treats various medical ailments and she she sort of combines ma- um, magic and medicine. But she wants to learn more about magic so that she can be more effective with her medicine. She wants to heal her best friend who's dying. And so it's also the story of sort of how Lynn gets drawn into this world of trying to learn as much as she can about this magic that is forbidden in her world. Um, and, you know, the path that that takes her down. We love a forbidden magic. So I love all things forbidden. Magic definitely is forbidden magic better than regular magic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so what was the inspiration behind this book? Because like, it's just one of those that as you're reading it, there's just so many layers and so many mm-hmm. just incredible details. Um, so how did this sort of like come to be in your amazing brain? So... I enjoy um, trashy reality television. I'm not sure if that's where everybody thought this was going, but um, you're but in the I, right place, my friend. <laughs> I like um, survival shows, so like mm. I've watched all of like Naked and Afraid and Alone, and um, I shouldn't be alive. And one of my favorites is Locked Up Abroad, where Americans and others get thrown into prisons in foreign 
countries, usually for, you know, actually breaking the law. Um, <laughs> and so I was watching Lockship Abroad and there was an episode about this man who um, claims that he was the body double for Uday Hussein, Saddam Hussein's son. This is a time the Husseins were not popular in Iraq among the people. And so um, where Uday was concerned, they, they basically kidnapped this guy from the army, brought him to the palace, did plastic surgery on him, made him look like Uday Hussein, like changed his teeth, changed his hair, changed his, you know, shaved the inches off his bone structure. Then he had to go through oh. like a period of training and train to look like Uday and walk like him and talk like him. And his job was to be him and he you know at some point complains about this to like the captain of the guard or something and the guy is like you don't get to complain it's your job you catch bullets and i was like oh this is so interesting it was and his relationship with udai is not it's very different from you know kel's relationship with prince connor um he hates him he like really hates him and and really the the story is how does he escape from Um, but the idea of that job stuck in my head. And so I started reading books about people who have been body doubles for various famous people through history. Stalin had body doubles, Hitler had body doubles, you know, lots of bad, bad, you know, dictators and whatnot had body doubles. Um, and so, uh, I think it was the concept of someone who's living a life where they don't exist. There's no person, Mm. there's no Kel Saren, which is his actual name that exists that anybody knows he is either pretending to be connor or he's pretending to be connor's cousin you know who hangs around with him but he is neither of those people and the actual person he is is never he never gets to express and i thought what would it be like to be have what be you know something that is taken away from you be your identity you know the person you are um so that was a big part of it and then i also was really interested in telling a story that where the magic system was based on sort of jewish magic and mythology um, since I'm Jewish, this stuff that's always really interested me, sort of part of the things, you know, that my was handed down to me from my great grandparents and my grandparents and whatnot. So Lynn's people are not Jews specifically, but they're very reflective of um Jewish traditions and faith and the way that their magic works. And so um I started to, you know, I had these two sort of separate storylines. Um and I thought they were different books initially, and then I realized, no, they're the same book, like because these is are both books about people who are struggling with issues of identity and there's this kind of interesting reflection of you know Kel up at the top of the hill and Lynn down in the salt and how their sort of lives and experiences of constantly and parallel each other and then you know meet when they meet um and they are both sort of outsider figures and I was really interested in also in sort of exploring that so that is a very long explanation of uh how it came to be that was fascinating yeah um i i've never watched locked up abroad but i'm like missing that sounds <laughs> incredible that's... i feel like i feel like a prison break i mean i i do <laughs> i it's really funny i know like uh I, I will i'll watch you know whatever reality tv i enjoy it all um i just finished um watching a season of ultimatum with with holly black <laughs> And I was like, yeah, like we were into it. Now we're on to Indian matchmaking, which I love um, so far. Amazing. Um, I, I love the, I watched Jewish matchmaking and was like, oh yes, I recognize like all of these people. And like, More matchmaking. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> I love that. 
but um, I do have a weird weakness for the ones where people have to like survive terrible situations and it's all like a reenactment, you know? Yes. I, I love that from the comfort of my couch, snacking on my chips. (laughs) I never do that. Look at these fools. They're so dumb. From the safety of my home. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. And the thing about like naked afraid, you don't even win anything. You just spend three weeks in the desert, like the wilderness, trying to survive on spiders, and then you don't win anything. No. You're just naked and afraid. You're just naked <laughs> and afraid, and either you make it to the end of the three weeks, or you don't. Oh my! Like, wow. Oh my god! You're like a toaster or something. Remember <laughs> <laughs> of naked toaster. Oh my god! I bet you they get some swag to put on their <laughs> naked bodies. Yeah, I hope they get something better than like a tote bag and a like a thank you. They're like, here's a logo t-shirt. <laughs> chain. Oh, oh my gosh. god! Not that I ever had any intentions of going on that show, but um, especially not now. <laughs> it's like, oh well, at least they'll win a valuable prize. Nope. No, they just get to take a bit. If I ever met anybody who was on that show, I'd immediately be like, whoa, this you're a next level human. <laughs> it's terrifying. Terrifying. Oh, no. Okay. Hell no. Oh. oh my gosh. That's amazing. Um well I love how you took two sort of like separate ideas and wove them together. Like that is so cool because I feel like I in my head sometimes I'm like have just like little random snippets of things and then when you can bring all those snippets together it's like oh right the bridge was here all along that's so cool when that happens the bridge and also it's like an efficiency hack moment where you're like yes (laughs) I am all powerful (laughs) amazing um Sorry if you can hear the ambulance rushing down my street. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So one thing we specifically wanted to chat with you about today, and I made the disclaimer as we were talking before we started recording that I have purely selfish motives for this. Um, But I will say to our listeners know I have been drafting a romanticy for like 8,000 years now and working on it forever. It's been like six months please forever um that's eight thousand years i know it is (laughs) but like right before i sat down to read your book i had gotten like feedback from a bunch of beta readers that were like yeah like you need to world build like this is the thing that has to happen and i was like oh no and then i read your book and i was like okay this was like perfect timing because it's like such a good example of really like intricate world building but it still feels accessible yes um and it doesn't feel like overwhelming Mm -hmm. and we wanted to chat with you about like sort of your world world building process mostly so that I can take notes (laughs) and learn how to do this (laughs) but also because I'm sure it's fascinating and we would love to hear about your process I mean, definitely the first time that I've done a, you know, fantasy, I mean, every, all projects require some world building. You know, I would say that that's the case even in contemporary fiction. Um, like, say you've set your contemporary fiction at a university, you're going to have to world build that university and like, you know, 
figure out what it's like and you know its culture and all of that stuff so you're always doing some amount of world building certainly i feel like there are specific challenges for high fantasy world building because it needs to feel um both different but also accessible like you were talking about um it needs to feel like people could really live there and work there and have their lives there so i feel like i start with you know, um, like I, I give you like a couple pieces of advice that were really useful to me. One was geography is destiny, right? So what mm-hmm. is Castellane? It's a place that um, is rich from trading and they're rich from trading because of where they're located. There's no place in Castellane. They're surrounded by mountains. They're in salt marshes. You can't grow food. You can't have crops. You can't have animals. You can't make any of your money or make your own food. So you're going to have to trade for everything. And so that like figuring out where it was also gave me like the culture of the place and the economy of the place and how it worked. Um, I think specificity is really important. Like when you're talking like a lot of little details that are very specific help a lot. You know, if your character is putting on, a, you know, is taking out a sword. Well, it's not just a sword. It's a sword of the greatest, you know, steel from Valderon. And that tells you something about that country. Also tells you something about that character. Um, you know, uh, so I try to be really specific with the details that there are rather than like explaining, you know, um, I think it's, you know, a version of show and don't tell. Um, so like we first time we see Connor, we're not told this is Connor. He is the prince of the city. He is very arrogant. He is very vain. He's very obsessed <laughs> with his clothes. We just get a clothing description, you know, yeah. um, and what he's specifically wearing and how he's standing and what he's doing. And so I feel like that tells you a bunch about that character. Um, and, uh, you know, I think those are the two pieces of advice that were the most helpful to me. So, you know, geography is destiny and be specific um about everything and then you know um i feel like we all pull world building stuff out of history so um from the run-up to writing swordcatcher i read a lot of sort of historical nonfiction books and also fiction just to get kind of the sense of a place at a time like that yeah that's cool yeah yeah it was fun and, and there are a lot of like interesting little details in there where you're like oh you know like the thing that that the way that Castellane works, where there are like twelve charter families, and each one of them owns a basically a like right to like trade in a particular good or certain you know is made up. But Venice, at the time of the you know when it's like height of its trading power, when it was like one of the most powerful like cities slash countries in the world, was ruled by what was called the Council of Twelve, um, and it was the Duke <laughs> of the city and like eleven noble families, and they made the rules and the laws. So I thought, oh, interesting. You know, it's interesting set up for ruling and what can I do with something that's similar to that? Isn't that wild when you come across something that actually exists and you're like, it's neat to take that little piece of something and kind of reinvent it in the world that you're creating? Yeah, for me, a lot of the stuff that was, um, so I wanted Lynn's medical stuff to all be stuff that was real treatments for real ailments that really could have happened in you know the the 1600s and so i think for me like doing all the research and realizing 
Yeah, we always think sort of like, well, up until like maybe a hundred years ago, doctors really weren't able to do anything except give you a bottle of whiskey and hack off your leg. Um, and like, <laughs> sure, like real medicine. And I was like, actually, I found a surprising amount of like really interesting stuff um, about things that they did know and like how to treat them. And so everything that she does and the pills that she gives the men, the herbs that she uses are all things that people did use. Amazing. That's so cool. I yeah, it, that. I, it was it was really educational for me because I was definitely in the like you know doctors didn't didn't have any couldn't really offer you anything they didn't have antibiotics they didn't have this or that but you know they knew that like for heart ailments foxglove which you know is basically digitalis which is still prescribed now was useful so it's really it is interesting what they did now. How did you know you had reached the point of research when you were ready to write? Oh, that's a really good question because <laughs> but it's so easy to get into that mind state where you're like, I have a notebook and I'm filling my notebook with notes and now I have another section and now I'm going to put more notes in. And and I mean, it's you can do that forever. Mm-hmm. It is its own project. It's fun. I think there is a, mo- like a moment, though, where you start to realize that you need to... I always say like run the rat through the maze. Like you need to put your characters through the world or you're never going to be able to figure out the specific things you need to know. So mm-hmm. I think it's when you start to get into real specifics in your research, right? You know, that you have to kind of take a moment and be like, I don't know if I'm ever actually going to need to know this. I don't know if it's actually going to work this way. Once I try to make it work in the book, it might, you know, like you sort of, you would think of it as like drawing a design for an invention right? You have to stop and build the invention and see if it works. That makes a lot of sense. That's just fascinating. Well, I hope it helps your world building. (laughs) No, I literally was like, just wrote down, I'm like, geography, specimen. (laughs) But that's so true. And it's, I think that's what's hard about writing a fantasy is you need the information to come across without it just being like, here's information without any story attached to it. And, um, you know, like working it into the characters and, and the, the location makes, makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Were there any pieces that were particularly self-indulgent that you just like had so much fun with? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think the clothes, I love clothes and, um, I designed some of my own clothes. And so what? I do. Oh my god, that's cool. <laughs> and uh, we can talk about that when we're talking about hops. But there we go. And my wedding dress and like um, whatnot. And so I always was already interested in sort of like clothing and fabrics. And also, I've written. Uh, if you're familiar with the Infernal Devices in the last hours, they're both historical, so a lot of clothing research. So for this, it was really fun because I was like, I can do whatever I want. You know, this is my world. I'm making stuff up and I they can dress however I want them to dress. And so it was a lot of like reading through books about costumes and clothing throughout history. Beautiful pictures. Like I'm just a big sucker for like beautiful like dresses and also gorgeous clothes for men, which like mm-hmm. I feel like what, what happened? When do guys stop wearing like <laughs> rock coats and the frilly shirts like bring it back yes you know like with the with the beautiful like waistcoats like you know the gold like you you know we we see it in historicals you know but and like bridgerton right you know they're they're like white lace everywhere (laughs) that's annoying um 
No worries. Okay. Uh, and uh, sorry, what I was saying. Uh, right. Uh, you know, like then the beautiful clothes that were available for men to wear. And so I wanted to make sure, you know, the guys in the book got to wear these like cool, awesome clothes. And then there was all this like fun stuff about the, you know, Mariam is a dressmaker. She's, she's Lynn's best friend. And so she has sort of a, like access to all these fabrics and designs and she, you know, gets to dress Lynn up. And it was just a lot of fun for me. That was very indulgent. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That is the fun part. Like I um, am a Pinterest board person and the visuals are always super yeah, fun. I know. Yeah. I had a whole, whole secret sword catcher board. And it was just a lot of, a lot of clothes, a lot of guys wearing, you know, frilly poet shirts. <laughs> I, <love it. laughs> I feel like, you know, like the Harry Styles of the world are, are doing their best to bring yeah. it back. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I admire that. Yeah. Yeah. Really. yeah. Harry's out there doing the good work. <laughs> yes. We appreciate it. I love that. Well, that whole thing was just like so fascinating. I'm going to listen to that portion of the podcast several times. <laughs> I do that sometimes. Um, all right. We also wanted to chat with you about some less serious things, fun things. Um, okay. So you have recently been watching Only Murders in the Building, which I haven't started yet and I don't know why. Um so we would love to hear all of your your thoughts and experiences with it so far. Um, I truly love it. I do love a cozy mystery. Yes. Uh, and it has that, like, vibe very much that this is a cozy mystery set in a, a building called the Anconia. That's this big, one of the big pre-war buildings in um, the Upper West Side in New York. And when I was a kid, I would spend every summer with my grandparents who lived on the Upper West Side in New York. Not in a giant building like that. They have a perfectly normal apartment. But um, there's something about the... I was like watching it. And so there's Steve Martin and Martin yes. Short play these like... They have these great characters. And then Mabel, um, who's third in their trio, is played by Selena Gomez, who's amazing. She's wonderful. And I was like, this is like addressing a very specific like fantasy, which is not exactly found family, but it's like, what if you had two really cool grandpas <laughs> and you got to hang out with them? <gasps> and I was like, this is really satisfying. Like, I just feel so happy for Mabel that she has these, you know, two really cool grandpas and they solve crimes together. It's adorable. <laughs> I'm obsessed. <laughs> Are we hey. going to get like a Cassie Claire cozy mystery next? would love (laughs) they are truly like that's my comfort reading is like Mm -hmm. those mysteries like agatha christie who i've read all her books but i will always read them again um and uh, yeah just uh any you know the the, agatha raisin type like it's a small town and you know every you know everybody but a dastardly deed has been done and we need to find out was it the vicar again like you know (laughs) How many vicars did we run through? They're like the drummers for Spinal Tap. So I, I love them. <laughs> you know, the, the eventual, like, you, you know, reason for the murder comes down to, like, who beat who at the pie baking contest. I mean, I, I love the low, the low high stakes, you know? Yeah. You're like, well, there's a murder and that's high stakes, but everything is really otherwise really low stakes. <laughs> Yes. It's wild when a story can be so cute and cozy that someone's murdered and you're like, oh, that's cute. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I know. It does take a certain stylistic flair to pull that off. It really does. <laughs> That's some talent. <laughs> I cannot wait to watch that show. The only reason I haven't yet is because I don't have Hulu. It's on Hulu, right? It's on Hulu. Yeah. Gonna have to get another free trial that I end I know, up forgetting right? to cancel. No, I'm just like, oh my god, I have so many of these. I have so many channels and like exactly. I'm like some of them I'm like, I'm just getting this as a free trial so I can watch something and then half the time I forget to cancel it and I'm like, I have B card. <laughs> Every time. Every time. <laughs> Every time. I am lucky that I have a mother who subscribes to everything and so i'm just like yo slip me that login (laughs) courtney i'll throw you my hulu login you're fine that's true friendship wouldn't that be the best holiday gift though like gift your family like let's all go in on this i get a gift you get a gift we're good (laughs) actually i like that I'm like, well, for for the holidays, I have bought myself a subscription and you can have my login. Yes. Just like give them a card with the login one for you, one for you. Okay. Love that. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Well, congratulations everybody. You all just finished your holiday shopping. Okay? <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Oh my gosh, that's so good. Yeah, and I just love the idea of Steve Martin and Martin Short just people that you know are like friends in real life like I feel like there's just like a really special magic when you have people that have a real relationship with each other like in a show like that it just makes it extra special yeah you can clearly tell they're having a really good like great time yeah I love that that is so cool I recently read an interview with them about the show and just how much respect and admiration they have for Selena Gomez. And like, that's Mm -hmm. so cool. Just like seeing these like super seasoned actors, like legacies in their own right, you know? And Selena is also a legacy in her own right. But to kind of like honor that as she's younger than them and like this really cool attitude of embracing her and, and her career, it was very, very, very cool to see that is, i'm glad to hear that that's lovely because they're so supportive of her in the show and it's i think one of the things that makes it pleasurable because mabel does not have a family really and so there is that found family trope you know in which she has basically found two these two grandpas like i said and it it feels really fulfilling it's like that moment when in harry potter when sirius asks harry if he'll come and live with him mm-hmm. and you really feel this visceral like yes finally he'll have a home kind of like feeling Mm-hmm. And so you feel that for Mabel, you're like, oh, she's got a family. I love the found family trope. I'm always putting it in my work. So I totally like, I'm a sucker for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. I was going to say, you do feel that, I think, in, in Swordcatcher too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think that's very true. Less for Lynn, but more for Cal when he, yeah. you know, goes to work. I'm don't think this is your spoiler goes to work for the rag king and then he meets to meets him and he meets the people who work for him and he starts to sort of have this like you know new group of people who i think to his great surprise offer him this potential new support system that he didn't really have before i mean connor loves him but connor doesn't think about Connor is uh, very consumed with his own problems. And I think Kel has been there for so long and just always been with him that he does not think about what it means to Kel to have 
not his own room, you know, not really his own life. Like, I think he just thinks, well, I mean, I'm sure I'm happy. Like, you know, I'm sure he's happy. Like, I'm sure this is fulfilling. And it's interesting when he, Kel is offered like the opportunity to really do something as himself. Mm-hmm. That I think is the first time that he, he gets to do that. And it becomes, this, he becomes very like invested and involved in it because, because it's him doing it. And yeah. what I love about, this romance too is that you have two characters who like their whole point in life is to not be seen right they're not acknowledged they're not seen like for who they are and so when you bring them together and they're finally seen like by each other that's like so special and like how 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 did you craft this romance and this story and did you have so much fun doing that what are we allowed to say <laughs> oh whatever you say whatever you want <laughs> We have like a, a mainly adult audience, so yeah, you're fine. <laughs> so, like crafting the romances in the story, yeah. Um, I think it was really interesting for me because I've written so much YA, and one of the things that I wanted to approach really differently was romance. Yeah, because I think romance for adults and is very different because with YA, it's the you're dealing with a lot of firsts, first love, first loss, you know, first time experiencing like a ton of things. Um, and you know, it, you, usually the first time anyone has sex, the first time that they kiss, you know, someone else often. And here I was like, well, no, these people have lived lives, you know, mm-hmm. especially Ellen Goner. And I'm like, yeah, they've had feelings before they've had, you know, um, certainly had sex before. And I'm like, I have to come at this whole concept of romance in a very different way. Um, you know, they're also, you know, not starry-eyed about it um they're both very like kel is like i can never have a relationship because my job does not permit me to have to love anyone to to have a relationship my job is to die for connor um and also to pretend that i am someone that i am not so neither of these is conducive to romance um lynn is so focused on her job and her and like so much fighting that she's had to do to be a physician and and to be the person Mm -hmm. that she is that i think she is somewhat naturally kind of little gun shy at the idea of putting herself in a position where a man could control her um and connor is well aware that his job is to marry someone that he probably does that he doesn't know and may not like for his country so uh, we do have uh, and this sort of panoply of people who have these very like adult concerns about about love and relationships um i had a lot of fun though with uh with Kel and Antonetta because I think Antonetta is one of my favorite characters because she's so when you first meet her you think she is one kind of person and so over the course of the book you start to figure out that she's completely somebody else and I love that um that's always fun with a character and then um with Lynn and Connor that was just a lot of fun because it's this I felt like that very classic like you could call it hate to love trope um that really she hates him and he does not care and he mostly (laughs) has never given her any thought which is part of the reason she hates him so much um (laughs) um, but he's you know a jerk to her and she is not having it which i think he rarely encounters in his life um so she she corrects him she you know calls him on his behavior she does all that stuff that really no one else but kel ever does and um he, you know, really starts to regard her in a way that he doesn't think about anybody else. Um, and so I think both those relationships were really fun to create. Um, and I'm excited to, I'm writing Ragpicker King now, so I'm excited to like be continuing them. 
That's awesome. Cannot wait to see where that goes. Um, All right. Well, we touched on a little bit. You're designing some clothes when you're talking about uh, coming up with fashions for the book. And I would love to hear more about this. Did you say you designed your wedding dress? I did. So I have a friend who is a seamstress. Um, She is really talented. So basically I work with her because I can't sew. So what I do is sort of like sketch out kind of what I want, what I'm thinking about and like come to, you know, then she'll do a much better drawing than, than me. Um, and we'll kind of figure out like, okay, this is, this is the way we want this thing to look. And then I'll figure out what kind of material I want to use, you know, everything, buttons, fittings, hooks, whatever, you know, and kind of bring it all together to create, um, an outfit. So yeah, I designed my wedding dress cause I didn't want a white wedding dress. I wanted a gold wedding dress. Because I feel like yes. good and white and I like gold. And so she had a beautiful gold wedding dress with like gold roses all around the hem and whatnot. So that was really fun. Um, and then I remember she designed, it's funny, my last uh, tour, I think, was maybe for Chain of Gold. And I it was March 2020. So not a good time to be going on tour. No. Um, <laughs> oh. That was pretty dark. But the one like bright spot, I think, was my first event, which was in New York. She had designed a... Um, full like edwardian like dress and jacket and like it was amazing like it was like <gasps> I said, hopefully i'll have a chance to wear it again but like it's yeah it's like i found like a a, a uh, victorian albert museum had done a costume display and so i found one of the dresses and was like it would make a dress that looks like this and it was that was so much fun Oh my, are you planning any, out- if if you're able to say, are you planning any outfits for your upcoming tour? Yes, I have a sword catcher dress. Um, <laughs> it's a red dress that matches to match the cover. And then it has black and gold ribbons that fasten the back and the sleeves to like represent the cover of the book. Because I'm a huge dork. That kind of thing. It is really fun. That. I think because I think for a lot of us, um, writing has was always our hobby. And then yeah. once the your writing becomes your job, you're suddenly like, it can't also be my hobby. Mm-hmm. Now I have to find another hobby. And yeah. so I found the like researching into, you know, cutting and patterning fabrics and dresses through the ages and all of that stuff and became my hobby. And that was really interesting because for so long in my life, writing was my hobby. Yes. That's so cool. What a fun hobby. I lo- love that. Um, it is fun. I'll send you pictures of the dress when I wear it. Yes, please. I'm going to be like stalking your social media. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> Where do you draw your inspiration from for your designs? Usually um, a vintage pattern. So for a long time, um, a lot of companies sold patterns for dresses to women because women were expected to make their own clothes. So um there's patterns dating back a hundred years. And so I just go through them. Sometimes I'll find them in thrift thrift shops. Sometimes I'll look online. Um, you know, there are whole libraries of pattern books. So usually those, it's really fun. Mm-hmm. And it's so different, you know, from, from writing that I feel like it's, it's good in that way. You know, like most of my friends have also had the same kind of struggle of like, what do you do for a hobby if, you know, you're writing is your job and therefore, you know, you want to keep them kind of separate, like, you know, uh, like sleep hygiene and so you know people have taken up all sorts of things and I find it always very interesting to find out what they're you know what they've landed on that's so cool 
probably yeah. one of the most incredible gifts I've gotten throughout the, my fledgling career. <laughs> Somebody gifted me a dress that is like a recreation of my book cover. That's so cool. I love that. Oh it's my gosh. It's so beautiful. And I'm like, That's I have amazing. to stop myself from wearing it like every day. <laughs> I'm going to be buried in this dress. I really know. I I love my like Edwardian dress and I'm like, where would be appropriate to wear it? And the answer is basically nowhere, but I want to everywhere. Listen, if we learned one thing in quarantine, it's you wear the fucking dress. (laughs) You wear it. You wear whatever you want. I mean, how many of us had like beautiful outfits in our closets for so long? We're like, can't wear it. I just started wearing it around my house. I'm like, you know what? I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm going to wear that magenta slip dress while I cook breakfast. Wear it. Uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see your Amazing. outfits. That's going to be so cool. All right. Well, we don't want to uh, monopolize your entire day, but we would love to hear what is coming up next for you if you are able to share or whatever details you can share. We have a crazy schedule right now. So I'm working on Ragpicker King, which is the second Sword Catcher book. I'm also working on the first book in the Wicked Powers, which is the um, next and final Shadowhunters series, within the series within the series. Um, then I also just um, started a Kickstarter. So I wanted to experiment with non-traditional forms of publishing. Um, so I'm doing a Kickstarter for uh for several books um some of them are material that's already been published uh, that you know we're giving sort of special editions and then one of them is a collection of 10 short stories and another is a collection of four novellas so i'm working on that material um so that uh, so yeah that's a lot on on my schedule dang and you're going on tour and you're going on tour yeah um yeah, it's, it's like a boss. I do not get much writing done on tour. It, tour is pretty like consuming of all of your time. And then if you have any free time, you're like, I have two choices. I can sleep or I can eat. Yeah. Um, but, sleep. So yeah. Sleep. I'm like, oh, when I get back. But yeah, it's a lot of stuff. And then um, yeah, yeah, it's been, the, the novellas have been fun. It's amazing. I have totally. to say, I'm really loving this Kickstarter trend, and I am so fascinated by. Yeah. And I'm interested to see how it goes. It's so cool, yeah. and um, I love that people are just kind of doing their own thing. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I I'm sure it's it really- going to be amazing. <laughs> I just think it's a really interesting way of publishing, and I've always been interested in like different methods of publishing. You know, um, I self-published a series of short stories and then sold the whole thing to my publisher to bind up and do a print version. I've done, you know, joint publishing agreements. So I feel like let's, let's try this. You know, it seems like a way to do a very specific project that isn't something you could necessarily get a traditional publisher to sign on for, but you know, which I feel like is something that my readers would really like. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, we can't wait to see it. Um, and last thing before we let you go, can you let our listeners know where they can uh, find you online and keep up with all of your latest happenings? Sure. Um, I can be found online. Um, probably the best place to find me is Instagram where I'm Cassie Claire one. 
Um, I have a Twitter that's Cassandra Claire, and I have a Tumblr that's also Cassandra Claire. So those are probably the best places to find me online. I also have a newsletter that you can sign up for at my website, which is CassandraClaire.com. Did we lose her? Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also, if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at court underscore K, K-A-E, on all social media platforms. And you can find me, Fallon Ballard, at Fallon Ballard, everywhere you imbibe your social media. If you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode, you can find links in the show notes. And a special shout out to Zachary Kibbe and Matt Ballard for our amazing theme song. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope to see you next time.